What's up? It's Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Thanks for listening to the Under the Hood podcast presented by Coors Light. Stay inside and buy your Coors Light online. Find out how at get.coorslight.com. Coors Light, take time to chill. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. WNVP Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. Stream ESPN 1000 easily on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. You're listening to Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. A very special day for a number of reasons. Usually it's tax day, but not this year. But also it's a day to celebrate Jackie Robinson. Uh, Tim Kirshen did a great job on ESPN.com. Tim Kirshen's baseball fix when Jackie Robinson changed baseball in a country. Jackie Robinson, when you hear that name, what comes to mind? First African-American baseball player? Sure. And it's about change uh, in Major League Baseball because uh, blacks were not allowed to play in the sport. But Buck O'Neill, a former Negro League star, was on an Army base in the Philippines in 1945 when an officer summoned him at 10 p.m. with the news. O'Neill grabbed the microphone and screamed throughout the base that Branch Rickey, the um, guy that was scouting talent with the Los Angeles Dodgers, or the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time, I had signed Jackie Robinson an organized baseball contract. Robinson signed to an organized baseball contract, which was huge. Two years later, on this date, Jackie Robinson changed the game and the country by becoming the first African-American to play in the big leagues. That's a, it's a huge, huge deal because it changed the game. And for the better, quite frankly, because that means everybody has an opportunity to play at that particular time. Then... You have a Latino influence, and then you have Asian influence, and then it becomes European, and everyone gets a chance to play. But Robinson opened up not just for blacks, but just for others to be able to be involved in the sport. He was the the beginning of all of this. And so that is always a date that will always be circled for me on the 15th of April because of what Jackie Robinson did, and everything that he went through, too. Anytime that you're the first of anything... Uh, there's always going to be pitfalls. There's always going to be uh, an opportunity to step back. But then you get a chance to step forward because you're the first. So you think about April 15th. It's a special day because of Jackie Robinson and Jackie Robinson Day. If we had baseball, then everyone would be wearing number 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson, and rightfully so. Sometimes we look at history, and we look at history in that Oh, you know, this something happened in the 40s or in the 50s. You know, why does it matter today? It matters because it's it's history, because it's the beginning of something special. And for Jackie Robinson, for him to be able to walk through the doors, to be able to be a ball player, going through fans yelling at him because he wasn't white, yelling at him and throwing racial epithets at him because of who he was not, um... It says a lot for him and his character that he went through that and that he was continuing to play. He was going to quit, step away, and guess what? He just continued to play 
and it opened the door for other African Americans to be able to play this game as well. So I thought it was a really good piece by Tim Kirchjim talking about baseball and talking about Jackie Robinson. What does four fifteen mean? It means that it's the beginning for Jackie Robinson to play in the big leagues. Other things happen on the fifteenth of April, including Hank Aaron. Uh, in 1954, Hank Aaron recorded his first hit, um, take away uh, his 755 homers, and he still has more than 3,000 hits. <laughs> I mean, he still was just great. So think about that. His first hit was on April 15th, so that also mattered. There's some other things that happened as well. Uh, like in 68, the Astros beat the Mets one nothing in 24 innings. Imagine sitting through a game, six hours and six minutes, and the Mets only score one run in 24 innings. <laughs> like Ron Swoboda and Tommy Agee of the Mets hitting third and fourth. They went 0 for 20 with nine strikeouts. Think about if you had a ticket for that game and sitting there just watching that. That's just baseball lore. But let's go a little bit deeper about Jackie Robinson and what he brought to Major League Baseball with a retrospective of Robinson, the player, all that he went through. 415, always a special day for Major League Baseball because he was allowed to play. Let's hear from Jackie Robinson. When Jackie Robinson took the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers on opening day, April 15, 1947, he forever changed the face of Major League Baseball. Robinson was the first African American to play in the majors in the 20th century, shattering the so-called color barrier, a 50-year-old tradition of segregation. Initially shunned by fans and even his own teammates, the infielder focused instead on being the best in the game. Robinson's raw talent soon gave Dodger fans reason to look beyond his skin color. By the end of his first season, he had racked up 12 home runs and a league-leading 29 steals and took home the league's Rookie of the Year award. In 1949, he was named the National League's most valuable player with a batting average of 342. Despite his all-star status, life for Jackie Robinson was far from easy. On the road, he was forced to stay in separate hotels. And he had agreed in his contract to turn the other cheek when faced with racial insults and threats of physical violence. Robinson kept his word and his dignity. In the decade he was with the Dodgers, the team played in six World Series, finally winning the championship in 1955. And it's all over about the shouting and the tumult. The Dodgers win it two to nothing and win their first World Series. And this day will live long in the memory of Brooklyn, USA. When Robinson retired from baseball in 1956, he became an outspoken champion of civil rights. Jackie Robinson wrote, The right of every American to first-class citizenship is the most important issue of our time. Robinson's success had opened the floodgates for fellow African Americans. Within the first five years of his career, another 150 black baseball players had been signed to the minor and major leagues. And the makes a catch. In 1962, 
Jackie Robinson became the first African-American inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. His pioneering achievements, both on and off the field, broke down racial barriers and helped awaken America's conscience. So that's history right there on the 15th of April. Jackie Robinson allowed into Major League Baseball, picked by Branch Rickey, and then history's there. One other thing about this is we talk about this on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Check out the piece from The Undefeated. And I I read through it, and I have no real answer for it, uh, but I saw that um, really a terrific writer, great writer Claire Smith, wrote a piece from The Undefeated. What happened to the African-American catcher? Uh, and I was like, if I say black catcher, what comes to mind? Do you know of one? Like the only person I could come up with is Charles Johnson of the modern day. And before that, it was like, you know, Roy Campanella, but it just, it, it's interesting piece. I won't go through it, but I want you to take a look at it. I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting piece because it's something that we don't think about until you read how few black players played the catcher position. We know the numbers of how, oh, an opening day of 2019, there was just 7.7% of Major League Baseball players that were African-American. is down from its zenith of 18.5% in 1975. So there's a big difference um, in juxtaposition between the 185 in 1975 and now under 8%. But... It was an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about from Claire Smith, and this is why she's great as a writer. So check it out on theundefeated.com, what happened to the African-American catcher. And speaking of baseball, Rob Manfred, the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, is in a position now to be able to give thumbs up, thumbs to the side, or thumbs down on what he wants to do with his sport. Among the plans for baseball is investigating, is basing all 30 teams in Phoenix in the Phoenix area, and using the 10 spring training ballparks there, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Chase Field, possibly some college facilities, games would be played in empty stadiums, players, staff, and broadcast crews and technicians would be in controlled environments, such as baseball parks, uh, hotels, and Major League Baseball arranged transport. And so Manfred says that we have tried to be cautious about trying to soon uh, based on the public health situation. For people out there that's just trying to um, get to any kind of sports in 2020, I think there is a different way. So he's talking about it, and of course, he's in contact with uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who we've seen a lot of at the White House, um, talking about this pandemic. And just, I just, again, just say it out loud. 30 teams in the Phoenix area using 10 spring training ballparks, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Chase Field, and other college facilities to play in empty stadiums with players, staff, broadcast crews, technicians. They'd be all in controlled environments. Like, Does, that, does any of that sound safe? Controlled environment sounds great, pie in the sky on the on the surface, but we don't know that everyone is healthy, and if they are healthy, whether or not they would contract the coronavirus in one way, shape, or form. Here's the thing. I'm not rooting for it. I'm not rooting for anyone to get sick. And, and, and for ball players, yeah, they want to play, and sure, they want to be able to get that check in the 1st and 15th. Point is, though, is that while this is going on, you cannot force feed sports. You cannot force feed science. I know there are some, clearly, in this country that want to be able to bypass science like it's not happening. But you and I both know 
that we have to be able to say as safe as possible. I don't care what these idiots are doing outside on their in their particular cities, and they're just hanging out and protesting uh, the stay at home, the stay in place edict that's been out there for a lot of cities in this country. But I just know one thing that I want you to come back. To tomorrow, I want you to be able to keep listening to me and I want you to continue to be healthy because that's the number one thing is, is to be healthy. And and so you're not dealing with the pandemic. Uh, it's already affected my family. I already told you that story. Um, if you hadn't missed it, the bus driver that uh, the bus driver that was complaining about a woman sneezing and coughing on him while he was driving the bus that was on Facebook, um, his that was the brother of um, a woman that was in my wedding. That was a, that was a bridesmaid in my wedding uh, with uh, with Michelle and I, and we were stunned because we knew that guy, and we it was amazing to see him pop up on Facebook complaining about this woman sneezing and coughing on him on purpose. He gets the COVID, he dies four four days later, and so it it is it is something that's really devastating out here. Nothing to play with. And there's some that believe have they have this complex like oh you know I'm good like no no one I can get, I can't get sick we can gotta continue to play sports gotta continue to go to work yeah you know a lot of us have no other choice but to go to work um, that are working but the bottom line is is that health is the most important thing and and I keep reading about how these organizations these teams want to be able to force feed sports um, not unless you're healthy first I can't go to any game. Any Chicago sports uh, game in, in Soldier Field, Wrigley Field, I can't go anywhere unless I know that I'm going to be safe and healthy. And the same thing for you. It'd be great to go back out there, but not in, in an attempt to get the coronavirus, which is something that you're not looking for, but it could happen. Uh, the WWE makes a ton of cuts, a lot of firings today. Really um, interesting, the 2020 that Vince McMahon's having. We'll talk about it next on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000. We got some great draft coverage. I don't mean good. I mean great draft coverage with my friend Brad Edwards from ESPN College Game Day. You know, Game Day is on television, but it's also on radio as well, on ESPN Radio in the fall. Brad Edwards does a great job with Matt Schick as well as Trevor Maddich. Brad does a great job with the analytics when it comes to um, college football. So we do this every spring. Brad breaks down certain players that we should look for for the Bears and for the overall NFL draft. So check that out coming up at 930. We'll get a chance to hear from Brad. Um and because we always have a fun time just breaking down certain players, certain positions. If you are a draft person or are looking forward to the draft coming up, hey, this is going to be for you coming up in our next segment at 930 right here on ESPN 1000. Tyler Aki, can I tell you something, my friend? Let's hear it. Okay. You know who's having a hell of a uh, 2020? I mean, this has not been a great 2020 through the first, uh, you know, first Awful. four yeah. months and change here. Um Vince McMahon is having a hell of a 2020. <laughs> I, I mean, a hell of a 2020. And he's been involved in a lot of unsavory, odd things. He's also been very good in some of the things he's done with his money. But 
Vince McMahon today, and this is not a, a surprise, but it's a little bit more than I expected. And I'll talk about this in a very special uh, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It'll be on the uh, ESPN Chicago app. We'll put that up there for you. Um, and if you're a wrestling fan, you might you want to hear my thoughts on this long form. But the coronavirus pandemic uh, is is affecting a lot of our businesses. A lot of us are unemployed or had to take pay cuts. Um, but the coronavirus pandemic is so bad, it's furloughing a lot of um, talent in the WWE. Usually you get this after WrestleMania, but not this many. And I can't go through the entire list, but Kurt Angle, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, former Cruiserweight champion Leo Rush, Drake Maverick, Zack Ryder, who's been with the company forever, uh, Mike Chioda, who's been with the company since 1989 as a referee, uh, amongst like another 60 employees of the WWE were let go today. Um, it, it, it is amazing how many have been furloughed. Now here's, now you're like, oh, it's a company. It's a, this is the same company also that unplugged the XFL to the point where the XFL more than likely will not even return. This thing has just been snake bitten for sure, right? I mean, they, they started off, it was wild and crazy, right, at the beginning. And then they have five or six games, uh, five or six weeks of XFL action, and then that shut off. And now they're going to unplug that, and they said they're not coming back for 2021. They're gonna, they fired all their people. They furloughed all the employees at the XFL. And then, of course, on top of that, um, this is the same company here that is essential business, apparently, because they can have live shows on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights from Orlando, Florida. Florida, the place where you still hang out on beaches in some places. So there you go, Tyler. This is Vince McMahon, who who had to let go of his XFL, who had to be able to... Um, uh, to fire so many employees today from the WWE, and then you know, all this. It's, it's crazy, a shame. And, and, yeah. and 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 deemed an essential business like a corner mom and pop store by That's, people in Florida. Yeah, that was one of the, when I saw that come across the Twitter timeline. That was one of the more absurd things in what's been a very absurd 2020 that I've seen. <laughs> Just, it's just amazing. I, I, I'll talk about this again. As I mentioned, if you are a wrestling fan, there. if you go to the ESPN Chicago app, there is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you download the app, you can uh, hear uh, my interview with Jim Ross, the longtime uh, voice of the WWE, now at AEW. Uh, that's on there and a lot of other content wrestling-wise. Um, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com, tweetjhood, when it first pops up there. But I just I want to share with you, Tyler, just how bad... Vince McMahon is it's just like it, all these people fired a terrible day for wrestling terrible day for WWE but same guy that's going to be rolling shows out live because the WWE in Florida in Orlando is an essential business crazy what by the way watch the UFC and boxing also want to be part of that arena in Florida they're going to want also, oh no fans can we go there Vince can we can we use your arena can we use your ring this is so it's amazing what money and power does even during a pandemic. Brad Edwards on the NFL draft of the Chicago Bears that is next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN One Thousand. Follow at Tweet J Hood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN One Thousand, Chicago's home for sports. 
Every year we get a chance to talk to Brad Edwards from ESPN College Game Day and ESPN.com as the draft is right around the corner and Brad joins us here on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Brad, as always, I appreciate it. Every year, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, looking forward to our annual spring visit. Uh, it's, it's been a, a, a weird off season to say the least, uh, and uh, looking forward to seeing how this draft goes. Brad, I'll start with the wide receivers, both of them uh, from Alabama, and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. What stood out most about those two uh, in the mix for the Crimson Tide? Yeah, Judy is a guy that ever since he arrived on campus, uh, there were comparisons made to Amari Cooper, not because they're both from South Florida, but because of their route running ability. And that was one of the things that makes Amari Cooper really special. And Judy has shown that as well. It's just a very precise route runner and allows him to, to get open because he's, he's not as fast as the other Alabama receivers. I mean, when you looked at the four guys they've had who just kind of dominated over the last two seasons, Judy, and this is relative, is the slowest of the four. But he's such a good route runner that he gets open and he's, he's put up the biggest numbers of the four uh, over those two seasons. Now, he's not slow, okay? But, um, but that's not where he's going to win in the NFL. He's not going to separate uh, from corners uh, very often because of his speed. Uh, he's going to do it because he knows how to run pass routes. Now, Ruggs is on the other side. Ruggs is a speed guy. And uh, even though... You know, if if you watched the, the Alabama guys over the last two seasons, for all the balls they caught, there were very few catches that you were like, wow, what a catch. I mean, most of them were, you know, two of putting the ball right on the money and the guy catches it and you're thinking a good receiver should have caught that ball. But the handful of impressive catches, whether you're talking about one hand or a guy managing to just somehow, you know, get a foot in bounds, uh, the, the, the more acrobatic grabs. Most of those, almost all of them, were Henry Ruggs. And so in addition, to, it's, it's kind of a rare combination. You know, you have a guy who has, has great speed, but at the same time has really good body control and is able to, to make acrobatic catches. So I think that's what you're getting from those two guys, kind of different skill sets. Um, and I, I think that's why it's so much of a fit thing with them. You know, what does a particular NFL team need uh, in a receiver for this year, and I think that'll dictate where either of those guys goes. I look at those two, and now on a lot of these mock drafts and and some of these positional rankings, I see Judy and I see C.D. Lamb from from Oklahoma. But you know, Brad, I think that Justin Jefferson from LSU could be something special. You can't help but to watch if you watch the ebb and flow of LSU and their road to the championship. Justin Jefferson, I think, can be a really special player for someone. Yeah, Jefferson is a guy who, you know, let I me mean, like the other LSU receivers, he didn't put up big numbers before 2019 because they didn't throw the ball much. And once they started putting up those numbers, you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, how much is that these guys are really good? Now, LSU doesn't recruit, you know, they don't, <laughs> they don't recruit two and three stars. I mean, if they signed you, um, you could play. But it, but but along those lines, like you still got to see it for a while before you believe it. And you know, with as Jordan Je- or excuse me, Justin Jefferson was starting to, to Jordan Jefferson's his older brother mm-hmm. uh, was starting to pile up those numbers last season. I think a lot of people were like, "Yeah, he's, this is just a product of the system." They're you know they're lining him up in the slot and they're managing to get him open and whatever. And and as the numbers started to mount and he gets up to a hundred catches, finally people are like, "You know what? 
he might actually be pretty good. And then I, I think he really surprised people with his athleticism. The more that you watched him and you, you see him, you know, separate from DBs, um, you know, you're able to see him break some tackles. He showed some strength that you didn't think he had on, on some occasions. And then I think he did himself uh, pretty well in the combine uh, with the way that he tested. And now all of a sudden people are buying into, you know what, he's, he's a good enough athlete um, to, to play pretty well on the NFL level. And so everything's there. I mean, it's one season of production, um, but he's shown uh, things that, that, you know, people were very skeptical about early. Uh, but now I think you've seen enough of them that you, you got to buy in. And uh, I tell you the truth, I'm I'm a little surprised to see him projected by some people to, to go in the first half of the first round. Um, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to think that he's a first-round pick if you're talking about back end of the first round. And uh, who knows? I mean, I, one thing that will come up quite often in, in our conversation, uh, Jonathan, is that uh, – I'm by no means the expert when it comes to fit in the NFL because uh, I continue to be surprised year in and year out by by some guys who make it in the league who I wouldn't have thought uh, were NFL material. So there's there, there's some part of this that I don't get. And, and to tell you the truth, when you see where these guys are drafted, I think it's safe to say that most of the teams don't get it either. It's just sometimes you get lucky. Well, that's because we spent so much time breaking down Saturdays and living for Saturdays that we, we see value in all these guys. <laughs> but then they get to some of these crappy teams on the next level and just like, well, what happened? Well, I mean, I know they were special on Saturdays, you know, and it yes, but um, so, you know, the Bears are in need of a wide receiver on the other side of Allen Robinson. And I've been looking at this this list as well. I, I want to know what your thoughts are on um, on T Higgins from Clemson. Does he stand out to you? Yeah, Higgins is a uh, he's a, a, a tall guy. Uh, he, I mean, looks a little lanky, um, but uh, he's a good athlete. He's he's a guy who's shown an ability to go up and get balls in traffic. And you know, it certainly last year having a really talented guy on the other side and Justin Ross uh, that that helped. And I, I don't I don't know whether he really distinguished himself. Um, a whole lot more this past season. It's, kind, it's just kind of tough in the ACC because Clemson has so little competition that you didn't really get to see uh, see him tested all that well until they got to the semifinal against Ohio State. And, and then you thought this is going to be the tape. This is where he's going to be able to show what he can do. And then he was injured in the first half and ended up missing about half of that game before he finally came back in. And so I don't I don't know what we really learned about him, but I know he looks the part, and he's put up big numbers in that offense. That you know the question, like I said, is the level of competition. But I do know the previous year against Alabama, you know, in that national championship game, um, he had a couple of really nice catches. Uh, Justin Ross was the guy who had the bigger numbers in that game, uh, but Higgins has been very consistent. Uh, over the last two years, and that's, that's certainly something uh, that would that would check a box for a lot of people. Brad Edwards from ESPN College Game Day and ESPN.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the brand new ESPN Chicago app. We saw such a devastating injury that Tua suffered when he was at Alabama. What do you think of his chances of the next level at quarterback? Yeah, I mean, up until the injury, uh, you know, he, he he was just so accurate and. That's obviously one of the things that that you have to be in the NFL to have success. You've got to be accurate throwing the ball. And you look at the number of throws that he made 
that were just right there in the spot where they needed to be, not just to complete the pass, but to allow the receiver to get yards after the catch, to not have to break stride. And he did that routinely. Now, I will say when it comes to the deep ball, um, he didn't throw it nearly as much in his second season as a starter as he did in his first. And I think you really got to go back more to the first season uh, if you want to get a feel for his deep ball accuracy. And to tell you the truth, he wasn't as accurate throwing deeper down the field uh, last season uh, as he was the year before that earlier. But I, I think you've seen enough to trust in that. But the, you know, the short and intermediate passes, you know, he was just right on the money. And, I, you know, I made that comment earlier with those Alabama receivers that you didn't see him make a lot of acrobatic catches, and that, that's because of his accuracy. So I think that, that's a, a, a big thing in his favor that people have noticed for a long time. I remember when, you know, when he first uh, became the starter uh, on the heels of that national championship second half, you know, his first month as a starter the following season, there were a lot of comparisons to Drew Brees. And, uh, and so, so you can see that part of it. Now, the durability is obviously, uh, that's, a, that's a different matter, and that's one of those where he can only hope you know, that, he can, that he can play in the NFL as long as Drew Brees has because right now there are a lot of questions about whether he can you know, even last three to five years given the number of injuries that he's amassed in college. And, and they've been different things. And I, I think you, you could look at them and say, you know, some of these are just freak injuries. There, there's nothing there that would suggest that he's, that he's frail or brittle. Uh, but at the same time, considering how little he ran the ball, you know, and how, how little relative to some other quarterbacks that he got hit, the number of times he was injured has to concern you. And, and so I, I think if, you know, if he falls – Outside of the top five, there's there's really no explanation for it other than teams have to be concerned um, about his durability, and I think I think it's fair. I would absolutely be concerned about that if I was thinking about spending that much on a quarterback. And uh, if if he's healthy, uh, I think he's a he's a potential franchise quarterback. And but but whether he can stay healthy, I think is a, is a major question that that teams have to ask themselves. During this pandemic, uh, Brad, there's so many that have way too much time on their hands to the point where I'm hearing so many ridiculous things about Joe, Joe Burrow. I mean, it's just the comparisons to Hall of Fame quarterbacks or LeBron. or it's just It's been out of control, out of control. And so when it comes to Joe Burrow, I, I just I saw a winner, just like I saw Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma. I saw a winning quarterback that was steady, that seemed like he was wise beyond his years just from last year. What what stands out most about Burrow uh, from you watching him at LSU? Yeah, now with Burrow, I, I can't even think of another comparison where you have a guy who basically started for two years, and the first year there was nothing about him that said that this guy's a future NFL quarterback. And then the second year, he looks like the best player in college football. Um, there was that much of a, of a transformation. Now, we know that part of it was the change in offense. You know, that the, they, they got Joe Brady in from the Saints. They opened things up. Um, like I said earlier, they have great athletes at receiver. And instead of putting two of them on the field, they're putting three or four on the field every play, and it certainly you know increases the options uh, for a, a, a quarterback and, and allows him to shine, you know, to, to do more, show more of what he's capable of. And so I, I think we saw that out of Burrow. Um, and you know, I've been asked over the last few weeks as I've been on radio shows, and people are trying to come up with anything to you know to fill the 
the time with college football conversation and, and people have asked about, okay, who, who's the, the greatest quarterback or the best quarterbacking season you can recall? And I was going through some of these and I, I remember guys like, you know, like Cam Newton in 2010 and Michael Vick in 99. And there, there are a few others and Kyler Murray two years ago would be one. And, and yet with all those guys, as, as great of a season as it was as a college quarterback, there was always a yeah, but. And, and the yeah, but was because a lot of the success they had was as a runner. And you had to question whether that could translate to the NFL. It didn't change what they were as a college quarterback. But you just know you can't run in the NFL with the same level of success that you do in college. Um, as, as Lamar Jackson has shown, and even Cam showed it, you know, Michael Vick showed it. You can run, um, but you're not going to rack up the same types of numbers. You've got to be able to throw the ball well if you're going to survive in that league. And, and so there was always that but. With Joe Burrow, he had one of those all-timer type seasons, but everything that he did is something that I look at and say, well, that translates to the NFL. There's no reason that he can't do that in the NFL. And, and, and among the things that he did well, it, it's, his, it's his feel, his instincts as a quarterback to be able to read things pre-snap, um, read them post-snap, his feel in the pocket, you know, that, that he had just had a knack for knowing when to step up, uh, when to scramble. He just and, – and his accuracy was, was outstanding. He nearly set the record for, for completion percentage for a single season, and yet – he threw a lot of balls deeper down the field in the process of, of nearly setting that record. So I, I don't, I don't think there was a weakness you could identify in his game from the 2019 season. And it's really a question of, can the Bengals screw it up? And, and I think we would all say, yes, they can. Um, <laughs> right. The same thing we would say if, if the Browns were picking number one, sure. If anyone could screw it up, it would be one of those two teams or the chargers, you know, mm-hmm. um, because those are the ones that typically do it. But, but yeah, I would, uh, I, I, I would have a lot of confidence in picking Burrow number one. The only thing that made me hesitate is I've only got one good season of tape on him, but he was so good. And like I said, everything everything just kind of translates to the NFL. So two quarterbacks that I believe the nation is split on, Brad, and uh, you can go take either one or both, and that's Justin Herbert from uh, Oregon and Jordan Love of Utah State. I don't know if it's just people that's just trying to force Jordan Love, believing that He's a next level guy, but it seems like the the nation split on whether or not Herbert or Love could be grand the next level. What do you remember about these two? Yeah, so l- let me just real quickly on Love because I didn't see him play nearly as much. I'm, I'm more of a uh, you know power five focusing on playoff contenders type guy as far as the the, the teams that I'm required to watch for for my job. Um, but but Love is a guy who he has the physical tools that you're looking for. And uh, I remember the first half, um, actually, really not the first half, it was the whole game. You remember the season opener two years ago when, when they played Michigan State mm-hmm. and nearly knocked them off. Um, that was one of those games where you got a good sense of what he's capable of doing, um, playing with guys around him who are not as talented as the defense that he was going against. And, and, and so I think you, you see – a lot of the raw ability there, and there have been so many quarterbacks in the NFL who have come from Group of Five and FCS schools who have excelled. Uh, that I, I just I, I, I think that everyone knows there's there's someone in this draft at quarterback who you know who's gonna 
come from off the radar. And I, I think I think that's one of the reasons you might be inclined to say this guy looks the part, you know. And so so maybe that's part of it. Herbert is a guy that that I am I'm not big on. I would not take Justin Herbert with a top ten pick. I'm not even sure I would take him in the first round. Um, and it, it, it obviously has nothing to do with his size, with his arm strength, with his athleticism, and certainly not his intelligence, because he has all those things, checks all those boxes. For me, it's what I was just saying with Tua and with Joe Burrow, accuracy. I have watched, I have watched Herbert so many times in a game where he will make a throw, and you just come out of your seat and you're like, wow, that was an NFL throw. And then he turns around the next play, and is throwing a a short out route, just just one of those run of the mill type throws, and it skips into the kneecaps of the receiver. I mean, it hits the ground five yards before it gets to him and skips up, or it goes ten feet over his head, and you're like, where did that come from? Uh, so I mean, he, and he'll go through stretches of games where he will look like the best quarterback in the country, and then a few possessions later. You're like, what happened to that guy? Where did he go? Uh, and, and so that's what concerns me with with Herbert is is I want to see you know not can he you know test at the combine and make all these throws during these workouts and and all the things that that you have to be able to do in the NFL. I know he can do those things. Can he do them consistently? Because in his college career, I just didn't see the accuracy consistently enough for me to believe in him. Not as a franchise guy. Brad Edwards with us here on ESPN 1000 and the brand-new ESPN Chicago app. Uh, Brad, let's talk more because we've got to figure out uh, what the Bears need to do in the draft and some other positions that really stand out to you in this draft. We'll pick up our conversation with Brad and more coming up next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Every year we get a chance. Brett Edwards from ESPN College Game Day and ESPN.com with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app as we go through the NFL draft and some of the hopefuls for the draft. Uh, I thought... We can make the argument that Chase Young was the best college football player that I saw uh, last year uh, with Ohio State. Um, what did uh, what stood out most about Young with the Buckeyes in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, obviously a, a special talent as a pass rusher, and um, it, it's weird because I mean, how often do you see a school put together three in a row like the Bosa brothers and then Young? And, and so there's a part of you that's watching this, and you're like, is it a, is it, you know, we say it all the time offensively, is it a system thing? Um, could it be the same thing on defense? But then you're looking at the Boses in the NFL, and you're like, no, they are that good. <laughs> so maybe Chase Young is also that good. And look, a lot of people say that just from a physical standpoint, Chase Young is better than, you know, either of the Boses. And certainly last season, uh, for for large stretches, uh, he looked like that could very well be the case. Uh, one of the things that I noticed from from looking at his numbers was just kind of breaking down, you know, when he would line up on the defensive right side and when he would line up on the defensive left. I mean, he was um, as far as pressure rate, you know, getting pressure on the quarterback when lining up on the right side 
was up there with everybody else in the country as far as being being the best. And so that's going against the opponent's left tackle. But when he would switch over and go against the right tackle, his pressure rate doubled. And so, uh, you know, he, he showed that he can do very well against your best pass blocker, but if you move him to the other side and create a, a, a physical mismatch there, then he's one of those is just going to give you nightmares. And, and so now you're probably not going to get that to the same degree in the NFL where you're going to have a right tackle who's that much weaker than the left tackle because if a guy was, you know, was that much weaker, he's not going to stay in the league. But, um, you know, but I, I think that's one thing that you can, you can look at with Young is he is a guy who coming off the edge and, you know, there, there, aren't, there aren't a lot of them. They don't grow on trees who can, you know, have an impact or at least as a threat to get to the quarterback on every single pass play. Uh, my question with him as it comes to where should he go, you know, should the Redskins take him, um, is our defensive ends, our elite pass rushers, as valuable as conventional wisdom suggests. And I realize it's become a passing league and pass rushers should be a lot more valuable than they ever were before because of that. But uh, some of the numbers that, that we have, that we look at with the analytics would suggest that corners are still more valuable than pass rushers. And for that reason, um, I'm not sure that I wouldn't take Okuda before I would, I would take Young. And it's funny because they played on the same defense, and, and Young was the one who got all the attention. Mm-hmm. But as far as value in the NFL, I, I, I think I'd lead, lean toward taking a corner before I would, I would take a pass rusher. It's interesting. Um, I will ask you, is there something numbers-wise or something that you've been working on that stands out to you about this draft, maybe a name that um, is not mentioned enough that stood out to you? Well, I, I just it, it's the depth of the receiver class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I know that I, – I know there have been, you know, drafts in the past where there was a lot of depth at that position. But when you consider how important receivers are in today's NFL and you look at a lot of – uh, a lot of lists and a lot of mocks. And you see a guy like K.J. Hamler at Penn State not ranked among the top ten receivers or in, in some drafts not even going in the first two rounds. That mm-hmm. tells you how deep it is because that guy's a game-breaker. And I, I think he's a guy who will have some success in the NFL. And yet I, I can look at these lists of receivers and I can justify – you know, people putting him where they do because there are that many talented guys. And, uh, you know, we, you, you mentioned the name very briefly. We didn't get into him, but C.D. Lamb is another, is another guy who I, I think I would give consideration to as the first receiver off the board uh, just, because, just because of his ability to not only get open but to be able to get yards after the catch. And, uh, you know, it, now look, he's doing it against Big 12 defenses and, and sure – you got to account for that, um, but at the same time, man, I saw that guy make a whole lot of plays. And then there, there's just there are other guys like in that group: um, Michael Pittman at USC, Lavisca Chenault at Colorado, who just you know those guys lit up the Pac-12. Uh, Claypool at Notre Dame was a is a big receiver who I think can do a lot of great things. So uh, it's just a really deep class. And 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 what I think is going to be interesting is as these receivers start to go off the board is there going to be a temptation to reach for corners? Because I don't think there are close to as many good corners in this draft as there are good receivers. But you need someone to cover these guys. 
And so I think that's what you're going to see. I think you're going to see teams reaching on corners in the second half of the first round and in the second and third rounds. And I, I think, I think a lot of them are going to are going to you know draft guys earlier than they should, and they're going to be some busts at the corner position. You know, it's funny, Brad. Sometimes in some of these drafts, it's hyperbole when they say, "Oh, this is a good group of whatever position." But I had to recheck myself looking at the wide receiving core, and it is, I believe, exactly what you're saying. Who wouldn't want Judy or Lamb, Rugs, Mims, Jefferson from LSU, Claypool, as you mentioned, T. Higgins, uh, Michael Pittman, Rager from TCU, Chenault, you mentioned yeah. from Colorado, High t- uh, uh, Peoples Jones from Michigan, Van Jefferson from Florida, Duvernay from from Texas. Yeah. Those are high quality, top the line guys. That may, you know, some of those guys will be third or fourth rounders, and that'll be value for some teams. Oh yeah, and you know, I was just talking about the value of certain positions, and what and and slot receiver is is arguably the the second most valuable position on the field behind the quarterback. And Duvernay is a guy, I mean, I don't know how far he could potentially fall as far, I mean, he could end up being the 14th, 15th receiver taken. Mm-hmm. He was arguably the most productive slot receiver in the country last year. It, him and Jefferson were the two um, that did the most. And, and, and I mean, yeah, that, I think that's just a great example of how deep this, this group is because uh, typically if a guy put up numbers like that and did it at the University of Texas – you know, he'd be looked at as an elite talent, and I think he's a really talented guy. Um, but in this particular year, I, I, I think I think it's possible. I'm not saying definite, but I think it's possible he could even fall to day three. Brad, uh, what is the likelihood they will have college football starting on time? That's uh, I've, I've been saying on the air that it, the health of everyone is the most important thing. We'll get to sports when we get to sports, but it'll be interesting to see especially in small-town USA that relies on college football uh, and college athletics every year, how this works out if it does not start on time. This will be interesting to find out when we get to this fall. Yeah, there's so many layers to this, obviously. and I think it it starts with the the campuses themselves. You know, at what point are they willing to bring students back on the campus? Because you can't have players back on campus if you don't have the other students back there, too. I mean, some people would say, well, what's wrong with that? It's like, well, they're, they're not professionals. They're students. And, and so you can't ask more of them than you would ask, you know, from any of the other students. And yeah, I am aware that in some ways they're already doing that. Um, but, um, but I think that's where it starts. The general student population has to be back in classes before you can bring the players back. And so I think that's kind of where it starts. But, but one question that I have, and I've had for a long time that I haven't really heard addressed, is the nature of football itself. And, and as long as we don't have a good handle on, on this, this virus, and as long as there's not a vaccine, it would seem to me that of, of all the sports out there, um, at least the ones that are played in college, is there is there anyone that would be worse as far as as far as protecting the players from spreading a virus like this than football? Because the nature of the sport is, first of all, you've got a huge roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you got more people on a team than any other sport, and, and and then you're putting them into a locker room. Okay, so there, there's no social distancing in the locker room. You've got the community showers, uh, and the nature of the sport is that 
it's the opposite of distancing. I mean, they are constantly grabbing each other. They're piles of people on top of each other, and they're sweating the whole time. And so that that's the thing. And I realize that age group and especially people who are physically healthy seem to be the ones that are the least affected by this and all. But that's no excuse for subjecting people to getting this virus. And, and so I just think the nature of football demands that question. Is it safe for people to be out there playing the sport unless you know for a fact that none of them have it? And and so that's something else that people are going to have to find a way to address as as we start getting closer to making the decision of, of when do they come back and play. It'll be interesting to to see where these guys fall. And always appreciate our conversation on the draft. All right, I always look forward to it, and I know I'll talk to you again in the fall. Indeed, Brad Edwards with us here on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. I thank you for listening, and being part of the program here on ESPN One Thousand. Our thanks to Brad Edwards, to JD, and Chris Carlin for being with us. Show produced by Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. Don't forget to follow along on Twitter, Twitter.com, tweet J Hood, Instagram, IGJ Hood. Check out the podcast. Got a lot more to give this week, but you got to check out the podcast and listen to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.